Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Head of Market Strategy here at eBrew, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer Enrique Diaz-Alvarez and Senior Market Analyst Roman Zuruk. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of FX Talk, your fortnightly dose of all the main headlines, news stories, and developments in the foreign exchange market. We've taken a little bit of a longer break than usual since our last podcast episode, although actually it's been a, a slightly quieter period in markets. Uh, attention at the last time, uh, at the time of our last uh, podcast episode, was very much on the, the recent banking uncertainty following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the troubles faced by Credit Suisse. Since then, these banking concerns have abated significantly. The bank failures are largely seen as one-offs and not the start of a wider crisis. This has been good news for risk sentiment. Most currencies are trading higher against the safe havens. Among the G10, the Japanese yen has been the clear underperformer, partly due to this improvement in risk sentiment, but also partly due to the dovish stance taken by the new Bank of Japan governor. We've also seen a bit of a broad sell-off in the US dollar, which has traded lower against most G10 and emerging market currencies. Signs of a continued cooling in US inflationary pressures have also contributed to this move, particularly after both the headline CPI inflation and producer price inflation fell short of expectations in March. This has very much heightened expectations that the Fed could be done hiking interest rates at its next meeting in May, And indeed, the Federal Reserve's latest meeting minutes suggested that some members were even in support of ending the tightening cycle in March. But will the Fed press pause at its next meeting in May? What do you guys think? And what do you think of this general dollar retracement that we've seen in the past few weeks? Okay, I think that absent uh, a nasty surprise in the next inflation report, uh, which uh, we probably will see uh, uh, another hike and then a pause. Um, we've finally seen the first signs of cooling on the labor on the labor market in the U.S. after spending the better part of uh, of a year and a half essentially at I think well, you could describe as above full employment. Um, we've had some uh, loosening on the weekly jobless numbers, which is uh, the the most um, timely read on the health of the on the situation on the on the U.S. labor market. We've had uh, downtick in the number of unju- uh, unfilled job openings. And now we have this uncertainty uh, coming from the banking crisis, which I do not think is going to derail the U.S. recovery or, or even cause a recession, but definitely at the margin means an additional uh, tightening of financial conditions via the credit channel. Uh, this uh, number of, of medium-sized banks, the so-called regional banks in the U.S. that are probably going to be less generous with credit going f- in the next few months, and we've already seen that in some of the uh, lending service. So overall, I think that uh, increasing rates to slightly above 5% in a situation in which inflation is around 5%, which is growing around 6%, um, the, the Fed is going to see if uh, this 5% uh, interest rate level is going to be enough to, to bring both uh, the weights and the core inflation numbers down. Uh, it's anybody's guess whether that will be enough. Uh, but on the other hand, clearly, there is a lot of tightening on the pipeline. Uh, the 
monetary policy acts with uh, law and variable lags. And it, it, it's definitely justifiable from the Fed's point of view to, to take a, to, to, to pause and see uh, what the full effects of this massive tightening from zero to 5% on, is on the economy. Uh, what I, again, I continue to see the market completely wrong about uh, cuts. I think that uh, the base case scenario for me is we go to five, five and a quarter, and we stay there for a long period of time as core inflation trends down. That's the best case scenario for the Fed. And I think that the Fed is very unlikely to 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 uh, to cut rates um, at any point in the next 12 months. I think the attention should be primarily uh, on the timing of rate cuts uh, right now, because the rate increase at the nearest meeting, I think, is uh, more or less certain. It will It is unlikely to influence the dollar in any significant manner, uh, as it is largely priced in by the markets. Uh, I think that we have uh, convincing signals that the U.S. inflation is uh, trending down. We are seeing the decline in core inflation. We are seeing some easing of the labor market that you and Yuka mentioned. Uh, so I think that uh, there are reasons to believe that this process will continue. And as those uh, interest rate hikes that have already taken place, as they start hitting the economy in some months to come, uh, this uh, process is likely going to push inflation further down. So I think I'm a bit more optimistic uh, than Enrico when it comes to the easing in, of inflation in the US. I think that the non-core components have already started to uh, press the inflation rate down and they're going to continue for some time. And then we're going to see a more convincing easing in core components as the economy decelerates, as the labor market uh, is loosening. Mm, but uh, when it comes to the rate cuts from the Fed, I also think that there is still some time until we are going to see them. And definitely when it comes to the Fed decision, Fed's communication and the data, the market will be analyzing all of that in the context of how fast uh, can it come and to what extent those cuts uh, may be. Uh, but uh, I think that also the market retraced their optimistic expectations regarding the cuts. Yes, I, mean, I think we're all pretty much on a, a similar sort of page here. And I think the, I agree. I think the Fed will be will probably be done raising rates after his next hike in May. I, I don't necessarily see the, the June meeting be a, being a live one at this stage, barring, as you said, Enrique, barring a, maybe a big blowout in our upcoming inflation data, I, I don't see how they will hike beyond the May meeting. Um, and they'll probably advocate a, a period of pause and, and waiting for the, the full effect of these rate hikes to be reflected uh, in, in the data. Um, but, I, but I do agree. I think rate cuts probably some way off at, at the moment. Core inflation is still far too high, well above the, the 2% target. Nominal wages still very much elevated, and there's no clear signs um, that that's going to be reflected in weaker core inflation just yet. The U.S. economy is holding up pretty well. Um, no sign of an imminent recession. So, so probably um, I, I agree with both of you guys. I think rate cuts probably unlikely for for a little while yet. Um, I wanted to get our quick thoughts on on sterling because sterling's been a, an interesting one of late. It's, um, performed particularly well against the US dollar since the beginning of the year, rising to its highest level since June last year um, in the past couple of weeks or so. And now part of this has been due to, of course, the dollar weakness, which we've already talked about. 
But um, sterling, as I said, has been one of the better performing currencies in the G10 since the start of the year and at the time of this recording, up around about 3% or so since the beginning of, of 2023. What's behind, been behind this move? Well, UK data continues to hold up very well. Um, the February GDP data was a slight disappointment, but still we're not seeing signs of a, of a technical recession just yet, even if the data is only in line with very modest growth. The Bank of England as well has continued to strike a hawkish tone, unlike both the Fed and the ECB. And another 25 basis point hike in May seems uh, a done deal, particularly following the latest UK inflation data, which came in well above expectations and continue to print in double digits. Uh, the UK has also been perceived as, as isolated from the recent banking turmoil. UK banks seen as, as well regulated, well capitalised. Um, and says so there's been no drag on sterling whatsoever from, from that recent uh, banking uncertainty. Um, but what do you both make of this, this outperformance in the pound? And do you think it could continue in the, in the coming months? I mean, it's, um, it's going to be, it's, it's a difficult one. I think that the outperformance is completely justified. Uh, assuming that the Bank of England reacts as everybody expects and, and refuses to to uh, to sit tight while while inflation uh, stays at these high levels, I think that it's it's a balancing act. In general, I mean, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to the next Bank of England meeting because I think that uh, if the, this the sort of inflation surprises that we're seeing in the UK, when inflation always, continues to come out higher than expected are having treated as a positive for the currency on the assumption that the Bank of England will do something uh, to, to tame inflation, right? And the Bank of England communications of the last year and a half have been quite erratic, um, bipolar almost. Uh, it almost has been like several sharp changes in course. I expect the Bank of England to strike a quite hawkish uh, tone at its next meeting. If it does not, if the market gets the perception that they are willing to allow the inflation to to stay elevated without the the appropriate response from interest rates, then we could see a very quick retracement in the, in in sterling. But that's not my base case. My base case is um, strong, uh, strongly hawkish message, continued hikes into the summer, and therefore uh, continuing upward trend of sterling, especially versus the US dollar. I think that the US, uh, UK inflation data as well as the labor market data uh, is uh, quite contrasting with what we are seeing from the US uh, and it uh, justifies further policy tightening from the Bank of England. I think that there is a much higher chance that the Bank of England and the European Central Bank will uh, continue tightening policy uh, even uh, perhaps uh, some months after the US uh, and the tightening process. Uh, I was uh, quite wrong uh, about the pound. Uh, I admit that. I thought that the currency is going to be one to uh, underperform uh, based on the uh, expected economic weakness and also the uh, perhaps not as uh, hawkish uh, stance of the Bank of England. But, you know, in the face of this data that we have, I think uh, it would be a wise thing to do to continue monetary policy tightening. Uh, there could be some risk of a uh, wage price spiral uh, in the UK by the looks of it. 
uh, or at least, you know, something that we should not uh, take as granted that it is uh, unlikely going to happen. So perhaps it would be wise of the Bank of England to uh, mitigate this risk by uh, tightening monetary policy. Uh, The UK also is suffering from uh, from what I hear uh, from lots of protests uh, from uh, public services workers, etc., which also uh, may uh, find a response in the Bank of England raising interest rates uh, further. Uh, so I think that uh, in the near term, uh, the sterling should be uh, rather well supported. When it comes to the longer term, I'm not fully convinced, uh, but I think that uh, it will largely depend on the economic prints, whether it, the UK will be able to uh, tame its inflation and the economic uh, situation will be able to uh, imp- to uh, continue to be better than expected. Uh, but uh, right now we are looking at a stronger pound, at least uh, in the near term, I think. Yes, no, as I think as you guys alluded to, the pound has has performed pretty well in 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 light of this this uh, inflation surprise. Um, very much on the expectations that this raises the the possibility of more Bank of England rate hikes. But but of course, actually, the the, the inflation news is a, is a little bit of a, a double edged sword. Um, high inflation does, of course, have mixed implications. On the one hand, it presents uh, a, a bit of a downsized risk risk to growth um, and perhaps makes the UK recession slightly more likely this year than it would have been otherwise, which of course is is bearish for the pound. On the other hand, as we said, it does make more Bank of England rate hikes much more likely. So as long as the Bank of England does indeed follow through and deliver a hawkish, hawkish message at its next meeting and perhaps continues to raise rates in the next two or maybe even three meetings, then yeah, I think there's a good chance we could continue to see this this uptrending sterling. If, however, uh, we don't get that from the Bank of England, if they um, if they maybe deliver a slightly more dovish message than expected, then market participants could may well start seeing this high inflation uh, data as as negative uh, for sterling, given its 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 growth implica- implications. Uh, we're going to move on now and and talk about. Uh, one of the main news stories we've seen uh, this week, at least, and that's the the strong economic data that we've seen out of China. Um, now, the performance of the Chinese economy has very much been a hot topic in recent weeks and in recent months, particularly following the abrupt end to zero COVID late last year. We had a little bit of a mixed start to the year um, for the Chinese economy, although data has very much taken a clear turn for the better. Uh, the Chinese economy posted Pretty strong growth um, of 4.5% year-on-year in Q1, which is above the 4% expected and the fastest pace in a year. Retail sales also smashed expectations in March, rising by 10.6% year-on-year, which was the highest since June 2021. The Chinese government has recently set out a growth target of around 5% this year, although, as we have been saying for, for some time now, this does seem a little bit conservative, particularly given the strength of recent data. Uh, the data has been generally good, good news for risk sentiment. Most currencies um, rallied uh, against the US dollar on Tuesday when the data was released, albeit the, the yuan itself continues to trade within a, a relatively narrow range against the US dollar and has found advances a little bit more harder to come by. Um, but what do you guys make of this strong data out of China? What do you think it means for the global economy uh, and, of course, the FX market? 
I mean, well, even in China, it's a repeat of uh, what we saw uh, pretty much everywhere else once the uh, COVID uh, restrictions were lifted, right? I think that the economy and the labor market worldwide have tended to surprise on the upside um, following the lifting of the restrictions. And in China, we're seeing uh, uh, a similar pattern. Um, I think that the there's... Perhaps the, the risk here is that the inflation numbers in China, which have been the augment out worldwide, uh, this is uh, probably the only major economic area where inflation has not uh, risen dramatically. I think there's a good chance that we will see a similar pattern and inflation in China will surpass to the upside of the next 12 months. And therefore, Chinese rate uh, interest rates will also need to go up. But uh, that's that's for the medium term. In the short term, I think that this is continues to be a positive for European currencies. Uh, the perception is that the main beneficiary of uh, strong Chinese domestic demand is uh, European exporters. And so at the margin, this is good news for the European economy. Pushes uh, even further out any prospect of a recession and adds another tailwind to, to the exchange rate of the euro versus the US dollar. I think that the first quarter data that we received was uh, largely good. However, the recovery is uh, not uh, yet uh, in, witnessed in all sectors, or at least not to the same extent. I think that there is a significant outperformance uh, of services and of consumption. Uh, but when we are looking at uh, manufacturing data, the industrial production, uh, these numbers are not as impressive. And Kaixin, a PMI for the manufacturing sector, actually dropped to 50 recently. Mm, and uh, there are some concerns in that context uh, about the external demand uh, for Chinese goods, uh, which could be a risk uh, to Chinese growth in, in 2023. Uh, that said, I think that right now we have more and more evidence uh, that the uh, this revenge spending uh, it could take place this year or is likely to take place this year. And that in this context, the growth target that the uh, Chinese authorities have penciled in uh, of about 5% uh, is too conservative. I think we would be able to uh, perhaps see a growth of, of 6%. And this is not, not, not something out of the question. Uh, I'm also uh, particularly interested in uh, how the performance of the per uh, of the property sector will be in the coming months, because the signals that we have so far have been rather mixed. Uh, but I'm rather optimistic, uh, particularly considering that the uh, prices of uh, new houses are increasing uh, in the in recent months after contracting each month in the past year. So I think that this is uh, perhaps the signal that uh, we are looking at uh, some light at the end of the tunnel uh, for the sector, which has been buttered uh, for the past uh, two years. Mm, as for the effect on the sentiment, I think it, it was positive, but rather uh, limited uh, when it comes to the risk sentiment. And when it comes to the effect on the yuan, uh, I was surprised to see a lack of strong effect of uh, positive economic data on the currency. In fact, I'm quite uh, puzzled why the yuan uh, hasn't rallied or lacked uh, a number of its peers uh, so far mm, this year. I think that the geopolitical tensions uh, that have been present uh, at the beginning of the year right now uh, have eased. We have very good exports data, which suggests that perhaps a current account uh, will be uh, rather strong this year. Uh, and we have this uh, overall 
positive economic numbers. So uh, this is uh, perhaps a bit puzzling. A, a part of the explanation could be what you mentioned, Enrique. So this uh, policy of the People's Bank of China, they uh, cut the uh, RRR uh, ratio in March by 25 basis points, which was quite unexpected. And we practically don't have any price pressures in China right now. The CPI inflation is 0.7%. The PPI inflation is actually a deflation for the past six months, and it's at minus 2.5%. So uh, right now there is possible risk that they would be uh, easing policy instead of stopping and maybe taking a, a step back. Uh, I think that this risk is uh, limited, but maybe this is something that is holding the yuan back. I mean, uh, that's a, I agree with you that the lack of response from the yuan is to this good data is a bit puzzling, but I think that We'll have to see uh, the data from the accumulation of reserves, but I think it could be that the authorities are intervening to make sure that uh, uh, to pump up the recovery as much as possible uh, and add the export stimulus to uh, to domestic demand. Uh, but I'm pretty confident that if Chinese economy continues to perform like this, we will see a yuan appreciation, especially against the US dollar. Yes, I have to agree with that. And I think if we look at as we mentioned, that 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 five percent growth target does seem very conservative. I would say after this this latest round of, of data, I think it's quite considerably stronger than expected. Particularly the more timely indicators uh, of, of consumer spending were very good. So, you know, as long as we don't get, I think, um, more downside in the housing market, which has been a very big a risk of late, then I think there's every reason as to why um, China will. will, will Massively exceed that government growth target this year, which should should be good for, good news for the uh, for the Chinese currency. Great, we're going to end our um, our podcast episode now with our spotlight uh, currency for the week, uh, and this week we are choosing the Hungarian forint. Uh, now, as usual, we generally pick a currency that is either outperformed or underperformed uh, of late, or has been heavily featured in the news for whatever reason. And uh, the CE currencies generally go a little bit under the radar in the, the sort of global news spheres, although the rally that we have seen in the Hungarian foreign in recent weeks has very much been a noteworthy one. Um, against the US dollar, the foreign has rallied by around about 8% in the past month, making it the second best performing currency that we cover during that time, behind only the Colombian peso. And why has that been the case? Well, this partly has to do with valuation. Uh, the foreign was one of the worst performers in the world in 2022. So partly a, um, a rebound from those quite low levels, but also partly has to do with the, the relatively high carry um, that we have in Hungary, where rates are pretty much the highest uh, in the region. But what we want to know, of course, is uh, can we expect this strong performance in the Hungarian foreign to continue? And do you guys think that the foreign is a buy sell or a hold opportunity it's a tough one um i i agree that uh, i'm generally positive on risk assets emerging market currencies though eastern europe is no longer considered emerging but still um carries is like you said significant but i think that i mean those inflation figures that we're seeing in eastern europe kind of scare me a little bit and um 25 inflation uh, means a 15% gap with European inflation. And that basically means that all things being equal, you would expect the currency to depreciate by 15%, which at current levels hasn't happened. So at this point, uh, the, uh, 
the uh, inflationary differentials between Hungary and the Eurozone uh, mean a significant de facto appreciation of the Hungarian foreign, um, which which is I'm not sure that long term is is sustainable. So I think that the, both the positive factors like carry and the general risk-seeking risk environment are f- well balanced with the negative ones like uh, the, the, this this inflation differential. And I'm going to I'm going to say hold. For me, it would be hold as well. Uh, I think the carry in Hungary is really amazing, and compared to what we are seeing in other CE uh, countries, looking at the interbank rate, Hungary has about 16%, uh, while other uh, have about 7%, which is a significant difference. Uh, and I think that uh, in the context of this high inflation that we have in Hungary, which is the highest in the EU, uh, I think that this is uh, balancing it and, and preventing the uh, currency's uh, sell-off. Uh, but I think that also there is some risks in this context. Uh, recently, we had some uh, signal from the deputy governor of the National Bank of Hungary and that they would uh, be uh, looking into uh, cutting the uh, upper band of uh, the uh, of rates uh, rather soon. So uh, this has actually negatively affected the currency and uh, perhaps investors are quite sensitive to uh, losing uh, uh, potentially some of that carry uh, going forward. Uh, also, when it comes to Hungary, I would stress that it's a high beta currency, the perhaps the most high beta among the CE currencies uh, next to the Polish Zloty. It has some questionable fundamentals, looking at the current account uh, deficit, looking at the budget deficit, looking at uh, low reserves, mm, and also uh, issues with the EU the uh, no disbursement of this recovery fund, some uh, potential, some blockage of other EU funds. Uh, this is uh, remains a problem. And although markets uh, seem to be optimistic about that, this uh, remains a risk for the foreign. So I think that uh, the, ris- the positives and negatives, as you said, Enrique, are finely balanced. Uh, and I think that for me, it would be a halt largely based on, on carry. Interesting. I actually have the foreign down as a bit of a clear sell. Um, I think the rebound that we have seen has been a a touch excessive, um, given, as we've mentioned, how acute the inflation problem is in Hungary. Um, For me, that is the big big downside. 25% in the headline measure, no sign of a peak just yet. Um, I think that's a big concern for the foreign, for the Hungarian economy. Real rates are are very much negative, um, I think at around minus 12%, which is a big concern. Um, and particularly if there are rate cuts on the horizon, I, I think it's very difficult to see continued um, currency advances in that environment, environment, particularly from current levels. So for me, the Hungarian foreign would be a sell. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening. <laughs>